Welcome to our second season of BC's Path to Universal Childcare podcast. As we usually do, we start our episodes with a land appreciation and acknowledgement. We are honored and ever grateful to live and work on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We thank them for having care for these lands and waters since time out of mind. We would like to recognize that this podcast is recorded on traditional unceded lands and honors indigenous ways of knowing that have nurtured the children and peoples of this land and waterways from time immemorial. Since we started this series last September, there have been a number of actions completed by the province of BC that support their commitment to universal childcare. Some changes are um, that now childcare is represented and overseen by the Ministry of Education and Childcare. There is an expansion to 10 a day childcare sites and a promise for all other existing childcare programs to be $20 a day by the end of this year, 2022. For West Coast Resource Center, we are absolutely thrilled to be celebrating our 35th, 35th year and to be able to say that funding childcare is finally a priority for all levels of government. And today we're excited to revisit the government's promises and commitments with a look back at the past 35 years of West Coast. And again, we're excited to be here with all of our former executive directors, Marianne Bird, Diane Liscombe, and Pam Preston, and how West Coast both affected change and was impacted by government policy over the past 35 years. As the new interim executive director of West Coast, I've been inspired and mentored by all of these women here with us today, and it's truly an honor to have them join us to look back at 35 years of West Coast. And uh, of course, introductions, our introductions are not complete without introducing our master interviewer, Gita Chad, who, by the way, is our founding board chair and a member of the group of visionary women inspired to create West Coast. We are thrilled to work with you, Gita, on this project for a second season of this podcast. Welcome once more. And please know how thrilled I am to be and work with you, Nora, Crystal, and our wonderful guests. Marianne, Diane, and Pam, it is truly a pleasure to be with you all today and to talk about the work that we've all been involved in to impact children, families, and educators. So we're going to begin with Marianne and ask you please, dear Marianne, when you think back to more than 35 years ago, as the vision of West Coast was born around the table at the 12th and Canby White Spot, what was the catalyst for those early designs of our organization? My goodness, it's hard for me to remember that it was really so long ago, and yet, in some ways, it's so exciting to think about it. Uh, because West Coast started with a group of really committed volunteers, and Gita, you were the leader from the beginning, and we often facilitated the meetings, as you said, around the coffee table, or around the white spot table, or around uh, this or that uh, place where we could uh, sit and talk about 
our both ideas and our frustrations. And one of them was that what childcare um, organizations there were were didn't have a home. And um, often uh, people would say, if only I could just access a photocopier, or if only we just could have meeting room space. And so slowly this, this idea of having a resource center, and yes, it was built on some earlier models that we knew of from California and other places. We, 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 we started to think about having a resource center um, and, and, and that would be sort of an umbrella organization for uh, the groups that were involved. And they were early childhood educators of BC, the Children's Services Employees Union that later on became the BCGEU, the School Age Child Care Association, the Western Canada Family Child, uh, Family Child Care um, Organization, and the Coalition of Child Care Advocates of BC, all of which were scattered or with um, files and papers in various people's basements and so on. So the idea was to come together and we then found that there was a possibility of some federal funding, a pilot project that might see us through the first three years of getting started. So that's how I remember it. And Gita, you were there with many other committed people. What do you think? What have Indeed, I missed? Indeed, Marianne, you haven't missed a thing. Just on the lighter side, right. in the day, a white spot hamburger was 45 cents. And I remember taking our notes about our vision and our growing on the back of a placemat at the White Spot. And when it was our 30th anniversary, um, the wonderful group at West Coast had laminated that um, pardon me, <coughs> table mat, and I took it to the manager, and they gave us $100 of gift certificates for our celebration. Even the manager couldn't believe 45 cents for the burger. I remember, <laughs> as we described, Marianne, the vision with the umbrella, we would draw it in different ways, again, on the back of the placemat. So actually, it's just a wonderful legacy that we've retained both those thoughts, feelings, and the paperwork. That's and true. so thanks, Marianne. So we'll go on to the second question. What was the public and political opinion about childcare at that time? Well, you know, the public opinion was still at the stage of saying, uh, do women, women really need childcare? Shouldn't we be finding ways for women to stay home and take care of their children? Or um, we would often talk about the, the role of early childhood education within a child's development and find so many people out in the community still needed to be convinced that this was a, a public service that should be available to all children whose families needed it or wanted it. Um, and uh, of course, the political opinion reflected the public opinion. The, uh, the, so there were some people some uh, often women in various political parties that recognized 
uh, the need for quality childcare that was both affordable and accessible, but then there were many others that needed to be convinced. Of mm -hmm. course, we also at, were yet to convince all three levels of government that they had a role to play. And that was one of the reasons why it was like, to me, the thin edge of the wedge that the federal government was considering funding some pilot projects mm -hmm. because if they funded a pilot project, it was in our minds, would they fund more? Uh, so yeah. there's been an enormous amount of work done uh, uh, in the, the past 35 years and an enormous change in the opinion, both public and political, in that time. Also very well said yet again, Marianne, and I'm thinking uh, very much at that time, childcare providers were often and most often called babysitters, and yes. certainly the term early childhood educators was not even on the table. So that really offers a great segue, Marianne, to the third question for you today. How did the creation of a unique organization like West Coast impact both public and political opinions? I, I think I think in two ways. I, I like to think that uh, West Coast was a, a bit of a catalyst or a facilitator for the organizations that I earlier referenced to begin to network and come together as an early childhood community. And once instead of being school age talking here and the family child care there, once, once the child child care community began to come together, our voices could grow together and we could have a greater impact both at the level of um, uh, talking with families across the province but also in talking with um, politicians at the city level and also at the federal level and at the provincial level. And, and of course in that regard, it was our sisters in the Coalition of Child Care Advocates that, that began to, to uh, uh, raise the awareness, not past Vancouver, across BC, and um, take the public policy uh, options for childcare forward. Thank you so much, Marianne, and absolutely the idea of bringing so many of the early childhood world organizations together in one home provided so many opportunities for collaboration on activities and events and as you say increasing and raising the visibility of childcare and all of the various issues that needed to be addressed. So I think I'm remembering times when, you know, we had actual interface both with uh, municipal and provincial and federal politicians to spread the word and lift things up. 
Thank you, thank you. We'll now move on to uh, Di, as we often always called her. Uh, Di, your early involvement in developing and implementing Vancouver's CCRR, Child Care Resource and Referral, was so innovative. What were, please, some of the initial impacts of this model? Uh, thanks, Kita. Um, just to note that in the beginning of uh, this program, it was not called Child Care Resource and Referral. It was called family daycare program, something of that nature, but it was very much focused mm. on family childcare. Um, so at that time, childcare sem seemed to be somewhat stratified. You either worked in group care or you were part of family childcare or you were part of school age care. And there wasn't necessarily ways for those groups to talk together. And that's where West Coast became so important because we could bring those groups together to talk about what we had in common, how we could support each other, and how we could make sure that services were being provided across the spectrum of childcare. Now, <coughs> excuse me, at that time, um, in Vancouver, family childcare program was uh, a unique model in that we had what we called a decentralized model. So West Coast held the contract with the ministry for the funding, but the services were delivered by West Coast staff who were located in other agencies in the city of Vancouver. And the reason for that is that it was closer to people's home. So we started off with partners in two uh, neighborhood houses in Vancouver. And these neighborhood houses were already deeply involved in childcare in the city. Primarily, they conducted um, group care programs within their organizations, mm -hmm. but they were visionary enough to see that that didn't address the whole need because many families could not find or could not afford group care uh, services. The neighborhoods in which those two neighborhood houses worked were in high need, low income, and linguistically diverse families. So that was the group of people who we first started to make contact with. Um, so, we did have, at the time, um, of course, licensed family child care in the city. Um, and licensing did provide some supports for licensed providers. But we know that many families were accessing care in other ways, more informal care, because that's what they could find, or that's what they could afford, or that's what met their cultural and linguistic needs. So we worked with Kawasa Neighborhood House at the time and Collingwood Neighborhood House at the time and the staff who were hired to provide the child care resource referral services in those areas lived in those neighborhood houses, even though they were West Coast staff. So it was that decentralized model mm -hmm. that allowed the program to 
develop in a way that would meet the various uh, needs of those areas of the city. Um, one of the goals of Vancouver CCRNR was to increase the recognition of family childcare as a legitimate partner in the provision of quality care to families in addition to licensed group care. That's so right. people would know about licensed group care. They might know that there was something called licensed family childcare, but the sector that did not become licensed were not really recognized, mm -hmm. but they were providing a lot of care. Uh -huh. And so we wanted to increase the supports to those people who were providing that care and to do what we needed to do to make sure it was quality care just like was happening with group care or licensed family job care. And Di, I'm just remembering too that a lot of these um, care providers had barriers to um, employment mm -hmm. and other traditional, uh, you know, out of, out of the home roles too. So this mm -hmm. was a program to support those care providers as I remember. Exactly. These families were often low income. They needed a second income. The women who were part of those families um, were often restricted from other work opportunities. They might right. be restricted by language, language. capacity mm -hmm. or cultural um, shifts. Considerations, yeah. Yeah, so where mm -hmm. people... <clears throat> perhaps other family members didn't think it was suitable mm -hmm. for the women to be right. outside the home. Mm -hmm. So if they provided childcare in their own homes, that solved that problem. But they didn't necessarily know what it was we were expecting as a quality childcare setting. And so the CCRNR helped them in a whole variety of ways to understand the the quality issues and to meet those standards. <clears throat> mm. I'm really um, excited by the way in which you've helped us better recall the two key elements, centralization in terms of West Coast and who we were and are, and mm -hmm. then the decentralization by servicing directly to other neighborhoods in the broader community. Thank you so, for that. So in the beginning, we had those two neighborhood house partners. And we also had, as one of our partners, Vancouver Community College. Because we knew that one of the things that was going to be very important for these women who decided they wanted to be uh, licensed, not required childcare providers, was to make sure that they had an opportunity to learn more about what childcare was in Canada. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to promote the idea of childcare being education mm -hmm. and to offer them training opportunities where they could learn what that means and how they could participate in that. Mm -hmm. But we didn't want to have those women who were so limited in so many ways in the city to just be taking one-off workshops that didn't have any credibility. So having Vancouver Community College as one of our partners meant that the courses and workshops that we offered to those licensed not required and for some licensed family childcare meant that their certificates were recognized. 
right die. And so then the reaching out to the post-secondary system um, for not only the education of those childcare providers, but also to lift up the respect and recognition with that area of study for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that was identified early on is that if we delivered this training only in English, many of the people who were interested in becoming licensed, not required childcare providers would not be able to participate. Their, the English skills were not uh, yeah. at a high enough standard to be right. able to- a huge barrier yeah, yeah. to their participation. So out of that grew um, our family childcare training course in other languages. Uh, we did it in Spanish, we did it in uh, Chinese, we did it in, uh, in uh, any the language we did it. <laughs> and all of the materials that we needed to deliver that training then became available upon request to other CCRNRs in the province who may be encountering the same issues. Yeah. That was an absolutely outstanding, especially in the day, if I can use that phrase, um, to develop the training and translate all the materials into a wide variety of languages and then distribute that through province-wide. And perhaps some other provinces took that idea from us as well. I, I'm not as clear, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a legacy to this day when I think about the partnerships I'm doing with um, immigrant organizations and the neighborhood houses still around the supports to immigrant women and pathways to employment through the family child care course or the responsible adult course, which you developed as well, Diane. Mm -hmm. And I actually just went last week to visit a student at one of the Kawasa group child care centers who told me that she originally was a student in one of these programs. She had come from Peru, so I'm assuming she likely took the training in Spanish. So I just love the circles of connection, you know, 30 plus years later. We were also fortunate enough through various means of funding to be able to take some of our parent support information about quality childcare and translate that so that families had access uh, to the information they needed to choose good quality care for their children. Great. Anything else, Di, you'd like to add in that this domain of the vast <laughs> many? Well, the notion of um, decentralized programming um, remained key to much of what West Coast did over the coming years. For example, um, we realized that the richness that existed within the West Coast library mm -hmm. needed to be available to childcare mm -hmm. providers in other parts of the province. So we, we set up a system where West Coast could send library resources to childcare sites throughout the province and the providers could return those materials when they were finished with them. So that took West Coast on the road to a more provincial face 
Um, we also developed from that notion, the idea of a Vancouver-wide mobile lending service that would bring toys and children's equipment and lend it to parents mm -hmm. at several sites within the city. So these were primarily with family places and other programs where parents brought their children and they could borrow from us at their home site and they could return it there. So it really made their, I mean, again, we're talking about families who did not have much uh, financial uh, income and this allowed them to enrich their own children's lives and to recognize what quality resources looked like. That led to a province-wide mobile lending service. It only operated in the summer because we couldn't travel to places up north in the winter. But we met with childcare providers across the province and took the resources to them. And then on the return trip, picked them up. So we had, we had some vans that we could uh, yeah. provide that with. So again, this whole notion of decentralized uh, services. Um, in addition, not with CCRNR necessarily, but with West Coast was the development and delivery of safe spaces, which was a bullying prevention program, very unique for uh, preschoolers. And it was provided initially for group care providers and they would come together, some at West Coast and some, co some gathered at other sites and our trainers went to those sites. So that the notion of providing uh, bullying prevention didn't have to wait till the child was 12, 12 or 14. It needed to happen way before that. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely so well received. I think, Di, um, even now, uh, as you discuss how we expanded the mobile library uh, with face-to-face -face traveling uh, throughout the province, and particularly the Safe Spaces Bullying Prevention Program, was an absolute foundational uh, activity and service of West Coast in so many ways. Provided an opportunity for childcare providers in other parts of the province yeah. to have access. Access, access, access. Exactly. Repeat, repeat, repeat. <laughs> okay. And I'm sure, Di, uh, much more, much more. I'm just thinking, you know, all that Marianne and you, Di, and in a moment to be Pam, have and are sharing with us today should be not only recorded in this podcast, but actually written up. Because I guess older I get, the more and more important I understand historical accounting and reference as to be, you know? We may know the names of some of these projects and initiatives, but to have this background and to relate the kind of social, public, and political and funding aspects to them, really key. Thanks so much, Di. And we will now move on to Pam. 
Pam, you started at West Coast in the early days with information daycare. I totally remember that time. Uh, through the years of your career, you have seen the growth in both public awareness and family knowledge of the value of quality childcare and the importance, of course, of affordable, accessible, and universal childcare for not only children and families, but for our society as a whole. You've been a strong advocate representing West Coast at the Advocacy Forum, First Call, Joint Child Care Council, Healthy Child Development Alliance, and even HELP, just to name a few. What do you feel, Pam, are some of the greatest achievements, as well as some of the greatest challenges <laughs> for West Coast over the years in regard to advocating for child care? Good luck, Pam. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got some smiles on our faces. Thank you, Gita. <laughs> I, I, will, I will try to remember a few of these <laughs> achievements and challenges and, and hopefully my co-ex-EDs and current interim ED <laughs> and, and first board chair will help chip in a little bit. Um, it's been really amazing listening to these stories as we got started because it reminded me that you know, West Coast was the first time that I had ever been in a room as an early childhood educator where I had preschool people, I had daycare people, I had school age child care providers and family child care providers all in the same room. And sometimes right. even lo and behold, the parent might be in that classroom too. Lo and right? behold. <laughs> so, you know, we were together. And before that, we were very divided. I came from child care. People would say, oh, I'm a preschool teacher, no, not mm -hmm. a childcare provider. So West Coast mm -hmm. really crossed that divide and bridged it. And I think that is a great achievement. And just reflecting on that, hearing people talk now. And as Di and Marianne talked a little bit about those early days, and Diane reminds us of the strides that had to be taken uh, in this province and in the city, I'm reminded of early childhood multicultural services which That's was right. West, West Coast Multicultural Diversity Services and formerly Preschool Multicultural Services. These were very innovative services in the city that were not available in the province and were not available in other provinces. And other provinces looked to us and said, how did you do that? Well, it was very hard to keep it going, but some of those guiding principles at the core of West Coast and how we got started around diversity and inclusion and multiculturalism you know, um, this idea of meeting people where they were. We never said, you are not good enough to join this group. We said, where are you at? Come along, we will show you some resources. And people, you know, we talk about responsible adult being a gateway uh, course because people take it and they go on to early childhood. Mm -hmm. And I can remember sitting down the hallway and listening to a training one night and the, I, I kind of remember who the teacher was, but she was explaining to the class that she was working on her PhD in early childhood education. And somebody put up their hand and said, you can do that? Mm -hmm. they, they didn't even know that there was a pathway and there wasn't a pathway in those yeah. early, early years, right? Right. So, and that's just, you know, off the top of my head, but listening to you guys reminding us about safe spaces, 
mm-hmm. you know, wow, those, those are, these yeah. are great things. And really, Pam, as you say, not even a PhD in the early days, there wasn't even a degree option yeah. for early childhood. That's right. Certificate That's right. and standalone courses only. Yeah. So just for the profession itself to be seen as a profession, as a body of knowledge, Uh this is huge, you know, when you think about where we started and where we are now. So and the roadblocks uh, that occurred on the way, (laughs) which which were many. And so when I think about uh, funding, if not less, not the funding needed. I wanted to start with challenges and end with achievements because I didn't want to end on the negative note. But um, (laughs) you know, gaining that political will and understanding of the role of early childhood development and early care and learning uh, supports like childcare, um, were, those are huge, huge barriers for us to overcome. Um, working to prove, we always were proving, people kept saying, you have to go and get the evidence. How is early childhood uh, linked to the economy? How is it linked to the workforce? How is it linked to human development, to social development, to every aspect of civil society? The evidence was brought and still there was not the political will. It's been an age long struggle on the provincial and federal fronts. But I do have to say the city of Vancouver was there before others were. And they did give us, they deserve credit for that. Um, Absolutely. They put resources into place. They supported West Coast. They supported child care programs. They supported the innovation in the translation work and development work that we were doing with family child care. Mm-hmm. Um, they looked at the city permitting process, the development of putting child care programs into building developments. I give the city of Vancouver over mm-hmm. a many, many years uh, a, lo- a lot of credit. Um, And, you know, I was thinking about my early days at West Coast. One of the things I did was I was the minute taker for so many of these groups, right, that would come together. And that's what I considered my university degree, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in minute taking. But I was able to listen to and transcribe everybody's points of view at the table and learn from these amazing women. And just one example, because there were so many. But one example is the table uh, for the Child Care Advocacy Forum and how they stayed together for 10 years. And it wasn't always, you know, everybody agreeing. We would have to put down ideas and really batter them around and think about them and test them. And and it was so, so important to uh, West Coast development and also my personal development. So that was a very intense time. Um, I think those challenges are just going to continue as the child care <laughs> BC rolls out and federal uh, commitments, you know, will be tested. Uh, and the role of CCRR is uncertain and remains very vital to the building of this system. So we have to, you know, keep our noses to the grindstone on, on that piece of work. You've heard so many of the achievements already. Um, When I think back just really broadly, I think the fact that West Coast really focused on our guiding principles, those founding beliefs and values, and we did test them over time. And I learned this very much from Marianne as our founding ED. How many nights did we stay late and just batter around some of these ideas? Um, But yeah, do we have a guiding principle on this? What do we really believe? What does it look like when it looks like this, when it looks like that? When the government first had the inception of what was the Family Child Care Support Program, the original idea was 
will, women on welfare would look after other women's children. So it was mm -hmm. a welfare to work program. And, and we had to say, no, that's not how we're going to do this. And luckily enough, we worked with the government enough that yes, we, yeah. we still got the contract. Right. No became yes. Right. No became yes. Um, so that, that sticks in my mind. Um, but that wasn't all, always the way, Pam. No, no, it wasn't always the way. Uh, but where, you know, where we had a really, if it had come, if push had come to shove in that instance, and I was not at the executive table at that time, I don't think we would have taken the contract. And mm -hmm. I think that there were times where we had to really think, what does this look like? What does right. one-stop access look like in Vancouver, mm -hmm. where we called it multiple stops of convenience? One-stop yeah. access in a big city. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, right? Yeah. So interpreting it on the ground and by being with the people and listening and asking and, and not just parachuting in with their resources. Like, you know, Diane talked about the decentralized model, which is so important. We never showed up up north and said we know everything you know uh -huh. here's the stuff no who's here on the ground who can we work with who can we co-teach with who can we how can we do the train the trainer model out there and that's uh that really enriched our learning us working with the CCAN table the child care administrators network in vancouver which originally came out of a project as well um, we learned so much listening and working with that group um, yeah, the decentralized model, uh, that's huge. And I would really give Diane so much credit to that, mm -hmm. to bringing us to the neighborhood house For sure. group yeah. and, and bringing together a lot of diverse stakeholders for a common purpose. <laughs> and yeah, we, we had desks and offices. We had desks in um, closets. We had desks in <laughs> stairwells, but our staff were out there and they yeah. were seen out there and they were present yep. out there and they met the people where they needed to be met. To be. Yeah. One of my last points is about West Coast resiliency and our ability to adapt to change. Um, you know, over the years, we established and defined our programs and services. We grew those offerings. And then when the big funding cut started in 2003 and really continued in a big way through 2006 and 2007, we had to recraft these programs. We had to really think about what is relevant to the people. How are we going to stay are relevant. Uh, we went to work after 2007 in the fund, with the funding cuts and began to grow our networks and keep our expertise relevant to the changing childcare landscape. And I just want to credit Crystal James, the current interim AD and director of programs in this collaborative work because it really played to her strengths, which are oriented to building those relationships on the ground. Mm -hmm. So um, as we celebrate 35 years, one of our great achievements right now is we are in a renovated and re revitalized space at East Broadway. We have yeah, a spectacular. Um, it's a great space and, and we really can't wait to keep inviting people in. We've been inviting people in and it's going to only continue. Um, our agreement with the province and the fed, federal government around the renewed support for the ECE bursaries and the admin and management for childcare program um, is established and launched along with that BC Early Learning Hub. These are really big um, strides and I think we have a lot to be proud of 35 years later. So open it up for comments. Wow <laughs> and wow, Pam, I just love that. I found myself taking pages of notes from all of you 
and um, a little humor woven in from uh, part to part. Um, however, the achievements, absolutely, you use the term, you know, we, we crossed and uh, bridged the divide. The innovation of early childhood multicultural services with the focus on diversity and inclusion, uh, meeting people where they are, bringing our world to a more professional place. Uh, continuing to work on uh, political will through evidence-based research and uh, findings, the pioneering role of the city of Vancouver, our guiding principles that always makes me think of, um, pardon me, <clears throat> VMV, vision, mission, and values. And I loved learning that the vision is inspirational and the mission is informational. So we give people in our mission a whole overview of the services we provide in order to move us to that inspiration of our vision. You talked about guiding principles and our values. Um, and of course, the ongoing challenges that will always be there. However, let us focus as we conclude on those great three R's, renewal, revitalized space, resiliency that I think we have always been able <clears throat> to demonstrate. And I heard uh, Marianne, Diane, Pam, Nora and Crystal, a great little line the other night that I'm going to use all the time. Life is a huge classroom. I just love thinking about the fact that our stories, our experiences um, in life are such an in-depth, broad learning experience. So we thank you. We thank you for this absolutely incredible incredible session and uh, know those who are now going to be able to listen to the podcast are going to gain a tremendous amount of knowledge not only about West Coast Child Care Resource Center, the whole history and coming forwardness of child care, the role we have played, and with huge tribute always and always to our three incredible EDs, Mary Ann Bird, Di Liscom, and Pam Preston. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Gita, for that, that wonderful uh, interview. I just had a smile from ear to ear through listening to all three of you the, um, this past hour. It's just so incredible for, for me in this new role, being grounded in our beginnings and looking forward to the future and to be reminded of our history and childcare um, as I help guide West Coast into the future. It affirms me of the work that we do today is the legacy of the past. Uh, work that you all um, were so inspirational and in, in, in doing and how essential it is then and now for families, educators, and most importantly, the children. So thank you so much. I've, I learned uh, today um, listening to you all and really appreciate this time. And hopefully we can have you back for West Coast uh, 40 year anniversary. Is that it? Yeah. 
<laughs> we can have you back in five years uh, and maybe sooner, hopefully. But um, thank you so much for being here with us. And thank you so much to all our listeners for joining us today and uh, for your interest and support of West Coast and, and our little podcast. Uh, you can get other episodes of BC's Path to Universal Childcare wherever you get your podcasts and join our mailing list at wccrc.ca forward slash enews uh, dash sign up to get all our future episodes and more straight to your inbox. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions of guests, email uh, those ideas to our new email. That is p-t-u-c-c at wsdcoast.org. Uh, we love to hear from you, so please make sure to drop us a line. And uh, thank you again to our wonderful uh, panelists, guests, uh, and uh, until our next episode in October, this is BC's Path to Universal Childcare signing off.